You're listening to Filmmakers Drinking Bourbon. Hey, what up, Internet? This is Frank. And this is Rachel. And we're filmmakers. Drinking bourbon. Cheers. Cheers. Classic bullet. Oh, I love bullet. So Brandon and Alex are they're working on a project. They might be just taking some time off. We're actually recording this episode uh, quite a bit ahead of time. I'm visiting my family in Western PA, um, and I'm recording this actually in my aunt's living room. Yes. <laughs> With you. Who are you? <laughs> I'm your cousin, Rachel Watson. Um, and I'm also visiting Western Pennsylvania uh, this week, so... We thought this would be a good time to hang out. People might be wondering, why is Frank's cousin on the podcast? Well, I am an assistant editor who works primarily on feature films. I live in Los Angeles. What what kind of uh, films are you working on? Well, so I just worked on The Dark Tower, um, which will have come out by the time that this is on, I guess. Um, It's coming out next Friday for me, which is August 4th, and... Um, I was a second assistant editor on the show, and mostly I work on films like that, um, that or smaller dramas. It really depends. I don't, I don't, I just go on to whatever the editors I'm working with need help on. So Dark Tower, I'm not too familiar with that. Is that, that's a feature film? It's a feature film. It's based on, um, the Stephen King novels which were a seven part series but this is um a single single movie i don't think it's based specifically on one book i think it i have never read the book so i'm not sure but i think it takes a little bit from storylines from different books and makes a solid film low budget big budget movie it's a big that was a big budget i actually am not sure of, of the budget on that one but uh i think over 100 million so okay pretty big okay yeah. Pretty big. <laughs> yeah okay cool yeah so you said you're a second editing assistant on that on that one i was a second assistant yes um i have been a first assistant as well uh, mostly that's on smaller features uh that i do first assistant work um so for the listeners who aren't aware like can you break down what that what does an assistant editor do and what's a second assistant editor do Right. So the editors in the film world are really only dealing with the creative editorial process. And so the assistant editors, um, depending on if there are one or many, um, do all of the day-to-day and any tech work, any cleanup. So during production, we do dailies, organized dailies. and during cutting, we can work on the sound effects, um, do sound design, music design, temp, depending on if you have a music editor or not on smaller films. Uh, mostly you do not have a music editor until much closer to the end. So the assistants will often help with the music editing and setting all that up. We do turnovers once it gets to that stage, which are the turning over of the reels to the different departments, uh, music, sound, DI, VFX, um, all the different departments and basically just help the editor keep the project organized and 
uh, ready to go for any anything that he needs or she. Um, and uh, that's mostly what we do. And so first assistance, depending on the scale of the project, um, on a large scale movie like The Dark Tower or Point Break, uh, the new one, which I was also on at the second, um, the first assistants are normally dealing with they are talking to all the different departments. They're the liaisons between the cutting room and the sound department and uh, pretty much every other department that needs info or if we need info, like what specs do we need or, you know, and so they'll send them over and we'll, we'll get it all prepared. And the second assistants on those features tend to be the ones doing more of the uh, just you're doing turnovers. And when you're on the film by yourself, which is uh, smaller movies that I've worked on, you do all of that. <laughs> um, and that's so in like a smaller movie. They just have an editor and an assistant and an assistant, one edit, normally one editor and one assistant. So then as the assistant, you're doing all of the liaising between all the different departments and also all of the turnovers and all of the temp sound work and all of that kind of stuff. Okay. I actually prefer to work on the smaller films and be doing all of that uh, work myself. <laughs> Why is it? Um, the smaller movies, everybody, it, they tend to be a little bit more relaxed, at least the ones I've worked on. So when you're doing it by yourself, you know that it's going to be done the same way every time. And it's very streamlined. And I have a system, you know, I'm sure everyone who does it has a system but i have a system you know where i can i'm doing it the same way i have a checklist so for every reel i know you know the oh for this sound turnover i've turned over all of the elements that i need to turn over and then i can check them off and send them along the way and when you're working with multiple assistants it's it is streamlined in a way but at the same time sometimes people do things a little bit differently or in different orders i feel like when i'm doing it by myself nothing will get lost in the mix are you working with different people each time then um so for like uh, a lot of times your the department heads will bring in the people they work with yes. all the time and notice that like most of the crew is known people yes is that the same in the editing world that tends to be the same in the editing world although i happen to have gotten on a lot of films where i didn't know a ton of people but um people who knew me had recommended me and then I was able to get in. That's how I got into the Dark Tower because I didn't know the either of the editors previously. Um, and they were they were lovely people, so maybe I will work with them again. But yeah, they tend on those movies they tend to bring in their own first assistants and sometimes the second assistants are more of wild cards like who's available. Um, because scheduling is also hard like as a first assistant you'd normally have the same schedule as your editor because you're working on the same movies with that person. Um, and second assistants sometimes stay longer or shorter on films. Um, they'll come in just to help do cleanup work or, you know, oh, we only need someone to help with this wild stage before we have a preview, you know? Um, so it, it can be a lot different of a schedule. So sometimes you're just on a job for a few weeks with one editor and then you're on something else. I do have an editor that I work with, that I've worked with multiple times. Um, and uh, it's just always a matter of scheduling. If I start something else or he starts something else and I'm not available, then. 
Is there a third assistant? Um, mostly not. Sometimes there are, are more than one first and more than one second. Um, I've worked on a movie with one first and three seconds. Um, there's also apprentice editors, um, which are basically would be the same as a third, I guess. <laughs> but they call them apprentice editors, which there's not as many of them. It used to be very common in film days to have apprentice editors, but now it's not as common. They just call them assistants. Do you have production like production assistant equivalents in the editing world? Like, what's the entry level yes. editing job? Um, well, so the entry level, there are post production assistants, um, and they are. That's one of the entry ways into working in post production, um, because then you get to know all the assistants and also the editors and the post supervisors, the post coordinators, everybody, and you get to show your work ethic and. I mean, I think that's the same as a production assistant on a set. You know, you're mm-hmm. showing that you are committed to the job and you're show there up. and you show up on time and you do your job and you're not, you know, you're happy to be there, even though sometimes, you know, and I've been a post-production assistant, so sometimes it's not the best thing in the world when you have to get lunch for 20 people, <laughs> but it's something you do and, and you meet a lot of people that way. So an editing assistant can be a full-time career choice yes. where if someone stays for life and perfectly happy. Yes. Yes. It. I know quite a few assistant editors who are, that's their career. It's what they do. Um, they either, some of them did at one point in time want to edit or, and then found out actually this is, this suits my needs better or I'm better at this. Um, and some people always wanted to do that and just, you know, I, I think it's not, really a known option. I didn't know that this was a job when I went to film school, but because they didn't tell us about it. So I just learned about it when I started working in the industry um, and seeing, oh, wait, like this is a more technical and it's a different kind of job actually than editing. So do you think this is where you want to stay or do you think you want to at some point move up the chain to full-blown editor? That's the million dollar question, isn't it? Um, When I originally came to LA, I thought that I wanted to be an editor. Um, The longer I've been there, sometimes I think that I I don't. I do like assistant editing work. I like the technical parts of it. And there's a part of it that I really like. Um, I think if I was doing editing, I would want to do documentaries or... Uh, maybe smaller things. Um, there's a lot of politics in the film industry, and I'm not. A, I I have a. I, there's politics in every industry, obviously. So uh, I don't <laughs> dealing with that is harder. Do you? What do you think about reality show editing? Do you consider that in the same vein as documentary? Um, I think that's a little bit of a different vein, but it's. It's becoming, because reality TV is so prevalent, it's becoming a very real job. And actually, the career paths in reality are much faster. Uh, one of my friends was an assistant and editing reality TV by the time she was 27. So it's a very, it tends to be a faster move up because you're getting a lot of hands on experience. Uh, I think their assistant 
track is a little different and I don't I can't speak to it complete completely but I think it's a little bit of a faster you get more experience with editing where it isn't the feature world you don't really get to edit unless you're unless you're actually editing so I think it's a little bit of a different track but it's a completely valid career choice and more and more people are doing it are most editors out there working for an editing company or are they freelance and what where are you i believe that most editors and assistant editors in los angeles are freelance or independent contractors um there are some that work for companies i actually don't know any of those people I, I think everyone I know is freelance, and I am also freelance. I don't work for a specific studio or editor um, all, at all times. I have worked for different studios and different shows, and yeah, so I'm freelance. So on, as a freelance editor, how are you finding your work? Uh, people you know. It's, 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 every, it's all who you know, and, um, and your work ethic. I think that's a big thing. Um, showing that you know how to do the job and that you're willing to learn and uh, you get to work on time and you have a good attitude. And you know, the more assistants and editors you work with and the more um, post-production coordinators, you know, the next time they hear, oh, I'm looking for an assistant. Oh, I know this great assistant. I just worked with her on this show. Let me send you her resume. And I mean, I get random emails. I got two last week um, about shows that you know, one of them, I didn't know where, I didn't know her at all. She got my resume from some, someone else. And yeah. So one of the things that, that I heard, I think it was actually on one of the episodes of this podcast mm. was that it's not who, you know, but who knows you. That, that might actually be true. <laughs> and I guess I probably worded that wrong because yeah, I've gotten many emails of people that I don't know and I don't know where they got my resume, but they're like, Oh, we've heard great things about you. And I'm like, Oh, awesome. <laughs> so excited. Who did you get my resume from? Like, not that it matters. I'm happy to hear that people enjoy working with me anytime that, that I hear that. So, and listeners don't get this, don't get this wrong. This isn't a field of dreams thing where like, you can't, you can't just become an editor and not tell anyone, not do any networking, not get to know people and think that people are just going to come to you. Oh, that's no. not going to happen. No, no. It's a two way field because when I'm working and if I get an email, um, for someone looking for an assistant, I, I have a list of people who I re would recommend and I have their resumes on hand because I want to help my friends out as much as I want them to help me out. You know, if I'm looking for a job and they're working, but they hear of something, like, please send my resume or I will send their resume. If I'm working, I'm not going to say, oh, I don't know anyone. You know, it's it's very much a two way street and it's helping out people when they need help. And then in return, often you will get helped out when you need help. So, yeah. Yeah. Is there an editing union? There is. Yes, we are the local 700, um, which is through IATSE. That's the main uh, filmmakers. uh union guild i guess but we're the local 700 um and i am i am part of that now i've been for just over three years i've been in the union it's super exciting actually <laughs> i love it i'm happy um to get into the editing union as with any union is a little complicated because you have to have a certain amount of days within a certain time period and they also have to qualify 
but they can't be union because you can't work on a union show unless you're union. So they have to qualify as union, for, uh, qualify for union, which could be, um, I think it's any non-union show that could be screened or, or televised um, on an actual level. So you could be working on a non-union feature or non-union show, um, and those hours, days could count towards your 100 days. They also have recently included um, some documentaries and reality TV into that. Uh, so you are you can use those days if you're working on reality to qualify to be in the union. But then if you're primarily working non-union jobs, you might not want to switch and that's a completely valid. Why would someone want to switch or not want to switch? Um, well, there are dues and there's the initiation due when you start. Um, so I think when you're first starting, it, it seems cost prohibitive, but it, it works out in your favor because the unions protect you um, and make sure that you're getting paid um, the rates. And there are different rates for different tiers. So there's, I believe, four tiers in feature films and they break down based on how much the movie is cost to make. It's something like that. So whatever the tiers are, they have a minimum that you can be paid per week um, based on hours. So it protects you in that way um, that you can't be taken advantage of. And if you have overtime, that you'll get paid the overtime. If you're working six or seven days, you're getting paid for those days. Um, and and so I think it's advantageous to be in a union. I also, they, they have health insurance and dental and vision and pensions and they want to protect us, which is part of the good thing about the union. You say some people might be um, hesitant to join because of the, the cost of joining. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, so upfront for an assistant editor to join the union, you have to have your hundred days and then you have to, um, so basically what you would do if you didn't have a union job initially, you wouldn't want to pay the dues to start because you don't have a union job. So you would bank those hours. So you would turn in the hours to the IATC people and they would get qualified and, you know, make sure that everything's good and nothing is out of order. Um, and then they, then you have to take the safety classes, which for editing, there's two. Interesting. Because, you know. Real quickly, Make sure what you're ergonomically sitting right? <laughs> Don't plug anything into something that's not grounded. Things like that. <laughs> okay. Um, but those are—they're actually in the basic safety classes. So I will also sat through the safety classes of you know lighting, and it's it's like one big three-hour class, and you learn about. Don't go up on a lift when there's a 30 mile per hour wind. It's like, oh, okay. I don't think I'll do that in the editing room, but I'll remember yeah, that. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> so, and then once you do that, your your days are banked for two years. So you have up to two years for those days to sit there. And then as soon as you have an opportunity to get a union job, you can pay your dues and you can start the union job. And so for an assistant editor, the dues I believe still are $1,500. Okay. That's the initiation fee. And then dues are like maybe $800 a year, but you pay them quarterly. So as long as you're actually working, it's very beneficial. Now, if, but if you were only working on a union show 
for three months and then primarily working on non-union shows, it might not be worth it. Did you see a fairly immediate boost or benefit from joining? Yes. Okay. I did. Can you run us through the um, the post-production process as far as it relates to editing? Um, and actually, if you can, I'm putting a lot on you right now. But I know. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> any involvement in pre-production and actual production would be great to know. Right. Um, so pre-production, they mostly talk to the editor and the first assistant um, about... So I just had this happen for what it will potentially be my next job. Um, I had the one of the producers was emailing about how much storage we needed and you know what kind of codec we wanted to cut in and all of that. Um, and I didn't know much about the project, so I needed a little clarification before I could answer those questions. But um, in pre-production, I think that they're mostly just wanting to know how many avids do you need? What kind of equipment? Like, so, you know, what are your rates? So that they can set up a, in the budget for how much post-production will cost. And I think that they normally underestimate how much post-production costs um, because VFX, uh, there's always more VFX than people think. I think they underestimate <laughs> in every department. Yes. Well, in my only experience with that is post-production, but I think that they definitely underestimate post-production, um, mostly in the VFX realm and sometimes in sound, actually. But uh, that's so. Then production, there's the editing crew. Sometimes it's a smaller crew than will actually end up on the uh, in the post part, but there is um, normally the editor and the first who work during production. Um, the assistant will organize the dailies and prep the footage for the editor. And then the editor creates an assembly cut or what is also known as an editor's cut, which is basically the entire script in its form, like as it's written in the feature length film. And it's often very long. Um, one I worked on earlier this year was the assembly cut was over three hours long, um, because you include everything. And then once post-production starts and the director's cut starts, which is generally 10 weeks, the director comes in to work with the editor to cut it down. Because you can kind of see what's not working initially. So I got a question for you about the assembly edit. Yes. Are you are you sticking, like, are you making any kind of creative decisions as far as, like, are you just sticking with wides only? No, or no, no. You, no, okay. no. But that's also why they call it an editor's cut, too. Like, it's an assembly slash. I've always called it editor's cup, but I've heard other people call it assembly edit. Um, the editor does make creative choices during that time. They pick the best takes, and they they do wides, mediums, whatever, close-ups, you know, whatever they think works best for the scene. But then, th then they'll work with the director to refine that down. And the goal there is to get it to be shorter than three hours. Um, and then once post-production starts, it becomes more normalized. And that's sometimes when they hire on additional assistants, uh, depending on how big the workload is, or VFX editors or assistants. Um, and then you finish it. Switching gears a little bit, like what, mm -hmm. for our listeners out here who may be working with an editor, like start, beginning the working with an editor, what's the most frustrating part of your process that maybe in production that they could do better that would help you shave hours off of your time and frustration 
in production. Um, I think that it's just being organized and clean in production, having good sound um, and clean shots. Uh, also cutting directors, please remember to cut. <laughs> Don't just continue the takes. Um, you know, resetting once in a while is fine. But I've also worked on films where there have been 20 minute takes and then you're looking for something and it's really hard to find. <laughs> um, so, you know, things like that are just. I am guilty of that uh. a lot. <laughs> I think most people are with digital right. cinematography, and it's easy, digital filming. It's easy to do, but I think it's also really important to remember to cut, but really for post-production and sound, but also to get the actors. Um, sometimes they'll want to reset and, you know, that's whatever, but. I've I've worked on them where it's twenty resets within a, you know a ten minute clip and you're trying to find the take of whatever. Sometimes it is. if you're working with available <laughs> light, you just don't have time. Well, sure, for that. and that's a different thing. But that's that's not the scenario I have in mind. <laughs> that's a different that's a different scenario completely, and I understand that. It's it's a difference if you're doing it for every shot of the movie or if you're doing it for you know oh we have light and we have to use it Th those are two different things for those just wanting to get into the editing industry what do you what would you say their best method of getting their foot into the door would be don't be afraid of just starting working as a post-production assistant or if you are working in re don't be afraid of working in re reality i was actually afraid of that for a while and i did do it for a, a little while and it was it was fine, you know, that was not my way of getting into the union, but I think that a lot of people get into the union that way, or at least get I think reality hours. actually gets a really bad rap. It does, and you know, and I had a I had a bad rap for it for a while. I was like, oh, I don't wanna work real. And then I'm like, but why am I, people are actually editing, and they're editing, they, they got there faster working in that field. So yes, don't, don't, don't ignore something just because it's not what your ideal, I'm putting quotation marks up here, ideal job is, mm -hmm. don't turn it down because you never know who you're going to meet, which is a big thing. You could meet somebody in reality who turns out to be one of your best contacts ever um, or who gives you a leg up on your next job. Start working, get into, you can do transcribing for reality TV to get in the door and then when assistants need help with something, be available to help them. Where's this clip? I will tell you, you know. Speaking of transcription, you did that for a while. Yeah, I did it for three months, actually. Only that was it. Um, uh, it was a good, it was a good experience. It was fun. I worked on this, the Cats from Hell show. Okay. And uh, this one called Hollywood Hair, which I, I don't know if it was one or two seasons, but I've I, never seen either one. Yes. Well, Cats from Hell was, is an interesting, I think it might still be on, but uh, it's uh, crazy cats. And I remember you talking about the job while you had it. And for some people wondering like, oh, you only stuck with it three months. Like from what you described, like it was very physically demanding, actually. It was. I, I think I started to get carpal tunnel during that job. There was one day that I had typed over 15,000 words. And I, you know, by the end of the week, my elbows, it was because you were doing this one key command and it was a pinky one. So whenever you were marking a clip, it was the, whatever the command was, you were doing repetitive motion. And it was really hard and <laughs> difficult. <laughs> 
in a, in a very interesting way, not like in it. I'm running five miles a day. Away, so but. real quickly, when when you're transcribing reality, mm-hmm. um, is, it, is it just the interviews you're doing? Is it all the footage? Why are you doing this? Um, mostly it's just the interview portions. Um, my the, the shows I w- was working on were set up in a very traditional, like, you know, things are happening. And you sometimes have to transcribe that if they're having a conversation. But if it's just like, oh, they're in the hair salon, you know, speed through it. If there's something important, mark it. Otherwise, you know, whatever. The, the assistants will then get to that. And then mostly interviews you're transcribing or the random, you know, confessionals that they do, you know, in oh, order I hate to so-and-so and three episodes down the road, like the pull something from a previous interview, if it makes sense. If it correct? makes sense. Right. Yeah. And they do that all the time. So it's kind of like a, do people still do this? A paper edit? I think they do that sometimes in reality, actually. Um, and we, we actually do that in features. We have um, continuity boards where we have every scene put up on, on a big board. And then sometimes when you're looking at that, you can come up with like really good ideas. as Like to, a physical board. Yeah. Yeah. No, we print out yeah, cards for each scene with a picture, representative frame. And uh, sometimes you move stuff around and you're like, wait, you know what? Let's try this. Sometimes I, it works. I've been a huge proponent of going completely paperless and entirely digital. But like in the last year I've had some projects that like, I just couldn't man. Like I have seven computer monitors that I work on. Like, <laughs> oh like I, I take it seriously and I like spread out my work and label right. it. But like, even, even with that many monitors, like I just can't conceptualize bigger ideas, bigger projects. So like I found myself printing out cards and, writing like scenes on it and like throwing them all on a board or a table and like rearrange them. It's just, it's crazy how much faster Mm -hmm. that can be. And that's something that we do a lot of. (laughs) Um, We use FileMaker Pro generally to, we do continuities um, and then, but you also do them in paper. You have a whole paper with every scene on it and then you have single pictures, which you then put up and, you can literally just move them around and say, well, what if we put this scene here? Would that make sense? Can we, let's just try it. And then you can on the avid pull that chunk and move it real quickly. Mm-hmm. Maybe just a yes or no, or like just a percentage okay. answer for this. Okay. <laughs> Number of project you've been involved on that had previs, previs or storyboards. Oh, I think a hundred percent. I would say. Yeah. They all have. Yes. And then you're still finding yourself doing that even on those projects because what they thought doesn't really work out. Yeah. It doesn't always work. I mean, yeah, it doesn't always work. (laughs) Speaking of, um, different jobs that are related to post-production and the editing, you also, I think for a while did some capture, digital capture. Yeah, I did. I worked for a digital distribution company for two years, actually. Um, where I was in the ingest department, which meant we were, ingesting all the media and at that time it was still we were getting mostly tapes hd cam digibeta like all kinds of tapes depending on when the show was from if it was a new show or an old show and those were all for netflix and amazon were some of our big clients but we also did um sky which is a european distribution company it's like breaking bad would send you a 
and master like master tapes of the episodes. Yeah, for each episode, and then you would we capture would them, capture them using an actual tape. And they couldn't deck. send it digitally to you. No, we started to get more digital files towards the end of that job, but um, so what year? So I did that from um, 2012 to 2014, and I quit when I got my first I had my union hours before that and then when I got my first union job I I quit that job um and grew out of it yes yes no and I mean it was a good job I had a I had a good time there but it was not what I wanted to do in the long run um but yeah we we were starting to get a lot more digital files towards probably in the last year that I worked there but we still got a ton of tapes I mean we got every episode of like Power Rangers the original <laughs> show I'm like I can see Little I can see tapes. the older shows being of on tape. But we were getting new shows on tape too. <laughs> that yeah. is I I hate tape. I I always tell people I was born either five years too early or five years too late. Because mm-hmm. when I was growing up and making my own home movies and stuff like that, I was really get like film was kind of out of the the budget range and kind of moving to be the like obsolete for like home like you know elementary school junior high kind of productions yes. no one shot on film no when I was growing up and computers couldn't handle video editing unless you spent tens and tens of thousands of dollars so that was exactly. also out of range so i was relegated to like a camcorder and a vcr pause and play right and i just hate oh my god i cannot <laughs> tell you how much i hate tape i was yeah. so happy to switch to um card and hard drive formats Oh, yeah. It's much more efficient, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I haven't actually had to work with tapes, I don't think at all, since I've been working on features the past few years. Um, I think they had one on the Dark Tower for a preview, but that was actually before I started on that show, so I didn't have to deal with it. <laughs> so they have an HD tape format yeah. i haven't kept up obviously since i hate tape i haven't kept up with the <laughs> they do they have technology. hd cams and hd beta cams and hd sd cams and yeah i guess that's right when the first hd camcorders came out they had they were still tape based the yeah. first run of them yeah yeah so yeah. i worked with those at that company and so that stuff went on uh netflix hulu streaming services yeah mostly streaming services some in the u.s some other we would actually we got a lot of um, American TV shows and then would also get the CC files for different languages and had to, we had a different department that did that. They would add the CC files to them and then we would export them and send them to Germany or Spain or, you know, wherever with either the dubbing or subtitles, depending on the show. That's a whole thing for a different podcast. I, like, I that's know, a crazy I know. process. That, and I didn't actually <clears throat> do that. I would just help with importing and exporting but I didn't actually have to edit any of that, thankfully. So speaking of Netflix and Hulu, what are you, what are you watching? What am I watching? Well, Game of Thrones, which just came back. Um, when this airs, I'm sure the season will be over, but I have to watch episode two, which aired last night. Um, I'm super excited for this season. I just finished American Gods, which is based on a Neil Gaiman book i don't know if you've heard of it no it was on stars um but i was very excited about it it's a good show what is it uh it's based on the premise that there are all these 
different kinds of gods living in America that were brought here by immigrants who believed in them and you know in their where they came from and so these gods if there's even one person in the U.S. who still believes in them the gods still exist in the U.S. but but there's basically a big war that's going to start and so there's this one god who's gathering the old gods which are the immigrant gods versus the new gods which are like media there's a media god. He's crazy. Um, and the god of TV, which is played by Gillian Anderson, who is just... I love her so much, so... <laughs> She's amazing. Anyway, it's a very interesting concept. It was on Stars, so it might come out somewhere else. Um, um, what else am I watching now? Those are, those are my big summer shows. So, what it sounds to me is a lot of robes robes yes maybe superhero superheroes tendencies uh yeah so there's a i don't know (laughs) i know you've listened to some of our episodes i have and i'm sure you're aware of the big Mm -hmm. superhero debate Mm -hmm. and i'm brandon light i'd say brandon's anti-robes okay Mm anti-superheroes I agree mostly with him, 80%. Right. Alex loves robes, loves superheroes, innocent <laughs> fun. Yes. I think I already know your answer. <laughs> Based on the shows you're watching right now, uh, what's yes. your take on it? Um, I would say overall, I do like superhero or uh, shows about, or movies even, about things that aren't your standard fare. Right. So I do enjoy the Marvel movies and, and, you know, those kind of superheroes. But as you know, Frank, I much prefer Star Wars. And uh, so there's a lot of robes in Star Wars. But a lot of robes. A lot of robes. But yeah, I mean, I enjoy the Marvel movies. I think they're fun. They're entertaining. I can watch it for two hours and be entertained. Mostly on a plane. Mm-hmm. Except for Wonder Woman, which I did watch and very much enjoyed. Okay. Um, I'd say I'm pro. Okay. I'm pro. It's another one for Camp Alex. Yes. Camp Alex has been doing pretty well this year. I think so. The, I think I started off the year in Camp Brandon, and then ever since then, it's been almost always Camp Alex. What, I mean, Star what Wars. can you say? Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. So, speaking of Star Wars, um, yes. <laughs> I was actually used to be a huge Star Wars fan. And I know, being your cousin, that you were also <laughs> obviously too. a huge Star Wars fan. Yes. Um, I kind of fell out of Star Wars a bit when the prequels right. started getting released. I and mean, we don't have to go into that because I'm sure most people under the age of, I mean, over the age of 25, have a negative opinion. Of course, yeah. Generally on the prequels. Right. The. I'm blanking out here. Maybe too much bourbon. But <laughs> the bourbon the, is kicking in. The new one since Disney acquired the first one they came out with. Um, the Force Awakens. Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Loved it. That was actually my favorite Star Wars movie of all time. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> Even though it's the New Hope. Oh basically. no! It's just yeah. Oh, no. I mean, not that I didn't love it because I did, but it, there were some cliche moments and some. A New Hope movements. Um, I did. I really. I enjoyed it though, and I really liked uh, Rogue One. I. It was dark. I really like dark movies and dark shows, but anything that's has a dark feel, which American Gods and Game of Thrones both have. So, 
Hannibal. Um, <laughs> uh, Rogue One was so, it was different. It was dark. It wasn't your normal, like, oh, let's crown, you know, let's have Ewoks and, I, I like Ewoks, but Ewoks and, you know, every, all the good guys always win. And so I no think spoilers, I'm, but, you know, <laughs> too late now. Yeah. I um, think I'm going to have to watch Rogue One again. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a ton of movies I haven't seen. And so, like, I've yeah. been, like, I'm not going to rewatch a movie if I've seen it. Right. I would rather watch a m- new movie. Agree. So, I was, I was in, when I was in Vegas this spring, the hotel we were staying at had free rentals, and Rogue One was one of them. I was like, oh, I haven't seen it yet. You know, I'm, I'm going to watch it. And I was really tired when I watched it. And I was dozing oh. off during parts of it. But, like, I did not like it. Oh. Like, especially, That's like, the bad. first half of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I was about ready to turn it off. Because there was just... Again, I could have been just too tired to understand or appreciate what was going on. But it right. seemed like, from my recollection, recollection, that it just, like, every three minutes, they were at a new location. And, like, a it new title on the screen. And, like, I was like, yeah. why are you doing this? Like, there's right. just too much to keep track of, especially when you're tired. And so, <laughs> maybe I need to watch it again because and I know a lot of people. how did you have that night? <laughs> Zero, actually. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I enjoyed that one. And I, not to say that I did enjoy a Force Awakens. I did. I, I liked. There was a lot about that film I enjoyed, but it was very Disney-like to me. It seemed very. It was kind of soft, and I don't know that. Han Solo too. got spoiler alert. Han I Solo. Know. What happened to Han? Okay, but I knew maybe he, not spoiler alert. No, what happened if to Han you Solo haven't watched it yet, Disney. sorry. <laughs> but I mean. Everybody knew that was going to happen. Harrison Ford has been asking to be killed off since 1982. If you don't pay attention, like, I'm one of those people, like, I don't, if you're a star, good job, good for you. Like, I don't, I don't really care. You're just a person to me. Like, I don't, I don't keep up with all the gossip and stuff like that. Of course. Whatever. I just watch the movie and, like, I just get involved in the story. Yes. Like, so. Okay. So. To me, like, it wasn't, like, super surprising. I mean, wait, 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 no. I'm sorry, what? Too much bourbon. (laughs) It it it, it, was it did ca- it did catch me off guard. Oh, it did not catch me all off guard. I knew he was going to die during that movie. I knew he did. I knew. I mean, they they had to kill him off. He was so tired of being on those films. And what I'm sad about for future reference is the fact that Carrie Fisher died before being able to finish her role in the films. And you know, they filmed all of her episode eight material. But now they're going to have to change whatever storyline they had for episode nine for her. And I I adore Princess Leia. Um, I have a big Princess Leia tattoo on me. So <laughs> for those of you who don't know me, I think that she's one of my favorite, like, badass female characters for, you know, the 70s and the 80s who was just mm-hmm. herself. And you know, didn't put up with the snarky And it wasn't like too in your face either. It wasn't. It was, you know, because I've, I've rewatched those, the originals many times. I'm very sad that she will not have finished her arc in a natural way, like Harrison Ford got to. But, um, yeah. I, I have confidence that they're going to be able to pull something off. I'm sure they'll be. I'm sure they will. Tie it all up. But knowing that... Um, like, it's not like it could have been if she was able to be there. And it's sad for me. But I'm very excited for the new one. I love uh, Ryan Johnson, the the filmmaker who's... Um, but he's the, he did the movie Brick in 2005, which okay. I absolutely loved. It's, I thought it was so, like, original and 
very noir like but set in the 2000s and and so now he's he has a chance to do a big feature film and And you have confidence i do i actually have a lot of confidence i'm very very hopeful that it will be amazing i think that these the the main one like this one coming out in december whenever this podcast comes out Mm -hmm. the the one coming out in december is going to be probably pretty good so the third sequel is probably gonna be pretty good as well yeah but i i honestly just don't have long-term hope that they're going to be able to keep the momentum up with it again kind of a little bit based on rogue one like i'm I just, but you and just any company that like, gets a hold of a project and like just oversaturates the market, like right. has all these spinoffs and, and stuff like that, is just gonna deteriorate at some point. Yeah, no, I, I, I can see where you're going with that. Um, and maybe you're right. I don't know. Um, I worry about the Han Solo film because you know they fired the directors or they quit. You know, whatever, whatever gossip or rumors you want to believe. But that's not a good sign. <laughs> yeah. As someone who I has... I mean, the fact is that they're, uh, they're just going to... Whether the movie sucks or not, whether the superhero movie sucks or not, right. they're going to continue to make money until uh, people stop watching the movies. Well, it's, a, it's the same with Marvel. It's mm-hmm. the same with DC. It's the same with any of them. They're, they will continue to make them until they are losing massive amounts of money on them. Yeah, with the exception of Star Wars just because I was such a huge fan when I was little of Star Wars. I really don't watch superhero movies because they're just so awful. My opinion. (laughs) So awful. And and mainly awful just because they're the reality is so suspended and so unbelievable that I have a hard time getting over. Those two statements, you have to suspend reality to make them believable. Okay. So, Hero, the show Heroes, I really enjoyed. Heroes. Okay, yeah, everything but the last yeah. season. Uh, but like there was there was actual, right? There was actual suspense in that. There mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. even though like okay, we have to suspend the, the fact there's like these people with superpowers. Sure, <laughs> right. but like nothing was totally like off the wall. Okay, yeah. I, For example, like I my dad. With that. So September 11th, mm-hmm. my my dad was like. Oh, this is the end of the entertainment industry. Like they're like nothing in film is going to be able to top like the the craziness that happened on this day. Oh, and like what mm-hmm. happened is that they just started making things even crazier, even crazier than that. And like Transformers, you have all type of buildings falling down and like battles going on in the building when the buildings are falling. Like that, <laughs> no, that's junk. But also, I don't watch Transformers. Mm-hmm. That's not a superhero movie to me. I think that those movies are way past their expiration date. Um, the amount the amount of people that would be dying when those when those battles were yes. happening would be catastrophic. Yep. Like the backlash from I mean that's actually kind of that makes me think of X Men, <laughs> which I was never a big X Men fan, but there there was a backlash against uh, the mutants because people were dying and and like regular people were dying and it, it's it's problematic when you think about it like if. If there was a superhero that came around now that saved a couple people, but yet in the process collapsed a building and killed even 500 people, whatever, it would be a big backlash against that yes, hero. It's a big deal when something like, and I'm like, not just every, <laughs> every type of superhero movie, like, destroys half of New York and half and, of San Francisco yep. every time. The Golden Gate Bridge is always destroyed. And like, mm-hmm. like, that's major 
shit that happens. Right. And like, yeah, just another day. <laughs> and like, I don't know, like, I imagine most people have lived through September 11th, or at least like, you can go on YouTube and just watch some things that happened. Like, yeah, two buildings if fell down and yeah. there was massive amounts of like dust and like you couldn't even see Lots and people were life. covered. Like yeah. nothing, yeah. nothing like that. There's no reality. Mm hmm. And that's the part that kills me. Like I can, I can take some like magic and stuff like that or like superpowers or whatever. But like when you completely get rid of all the suspense in the film, like that kills me. Like even, even a non superhero for like the Jason Bourne films, they, I I stopped watching those after a while because it just got too ridiculous. Like, it's just like, Oh, then I don't, I just don't care anymore. Like this is the action sequences were actually boring. And I was like, speeding you know vcr <laughs> days like we're fast forwarding through the the action parts to get to like the non-action parts because that was was actually became interesting right right no i i completely understand that and that's why i think of those movies as more like you know they're popcorn summer flip flicks they're not they're not something i would watch and think you know we should be like this is an amazing movie and it's you know all you know amazing and people should be studying it in film school like no those movies are just they're there to be there to entertain people and to make money but they're not there for yeah i think that's <laughs> kind of what alex is saying it's just entertainment's fun is meant to just forget of about course. things enjoy it and and sometimes i want to do that and like i don't need to be like i don't i'm not an art snob or a film snob like i i actually despise that that stuff but like right you know, back to the future, like that had real suspense to it. And that had an unbelievable <laughs> yes. part to it. True. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed back to the future very much. I haven't watched it in forever, but uh, yeah, no, I know what you're saying. I, I agree. So, so circling around to, <laughs> to Han Solo. Oh yes. Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford. Um, you worked on a Harrison Ford movie. I did. I did. I, I worked on Cowboys and Aliens. I, that was actually when I was a post-PA. Um, so I met him a couple of times, which was kind of the most exciting thing ever for me. <laughs> you know, and being in L.A., you, you meet people and you just have to, you know, be cool with it. Cause yeah, they're just people. They're just people. Yep. And mostly they want to just be treated like people, honestly. Mm-hmm. And that's true of almost everyone I've ever met in, you know, star, quotation marks, star wise. Um, and that's definitely true of Harrison Ford. So, yeah, I met him a couple of times. What I'm trying to get at is <laughs> your mom told me the story of he was hungry one day. So he came into the office. He didn't come in a lot. He came in a few times during post to check out the film or, you know, give feedback as sometimes stars do uh also producers i i'm not sure if he was a producer but i think he had a heavy hand in that one um and you know he came in during lunchtime and i i had finished my lunch early so i hadn't actually finished it i just like ate some of it and then put it in the fridge (laughs) plastic fork and all and you know my my job then when he came in was to you know offer him lunch or coffee or whatever he needed as a post pa that's what you do you're amicable and do whatever they need you to do and so he came in he went into the editor's office but the editor's office had a back door that went towards the kitchen and so i didn't see when he went out the back door so the first assistant was like 
came out and was like, go ask him what he needs. <laughs> and so I hurried to the kitchen and he was in the fridge and I was like, can I, can I get you lunch? Like there's a cafe downstairs where I can go anywhere you want, you know, <laughs> whatever you need. I'll go grab you lunch, whatever. And he's like, no, no, I found something. <laughs> and he had my lunch <laughs> in his hands. <laughs> and he proceeded to use the fork <laughs> that I had eaten off <laughs> to spoon it into his bowl. And then Harrison Ford ate my lunch is my favorite short story ever. Because like, you literally, literally say Harrison Ford ate my lunch and that's a story in itself. But um, he was the most chill guy. He was did not care about. Like, oh, I, I said, oh, I can wash your dishes. No, no, I'll wash my own dishes. <laughs> yeah. I'll get you coffee. No, no, I'm fine with the coffee that's in the kitchen. Like, But anyway, that was my uh, <laughs> Harrison yeah. Ford. He strikes me as that kind of guy, and that doesn't surprise me either. My question is, do you did you have your name on your lunch? I don't I don't think it was, but I, I can't remember. It was in like a plastic. So it was fair game anyway. No, it might, it could have been on there. I just, but in the hurry that I was in to prepare for him coming, I might not have written it on there, but you know, I don't know. I don't remember. On solo at your lunch. It's fine. Yeah. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite story ever. If he listens to this. Hello. (laughs) So Brandon's favorite movie is Point Break. Oh, yes. Okay. The original though. The original Point Break. The original. And you alluded earlier that you worked on the remake. I did work on the remake. Did he ever see the remake? I know you haven't. I haven't. I don't know if he has either. I know I asked him about it a few months ago, like several months ago, and he, at that point, hadn't. Okay. It's a remake, and yet it's its own thing. It's not, you know, scene for scene, frame for frame kind of thing. Did you see the um, Gone in 60 Seconds old versus new? The original versus the... The new one, the new one being like a 99 or whatever. Oh, I was going to say. I don't think I saw the original one. I saw the the 99 one for sure. Yeah, with Nicolas Cage. Yes, Nicolas Cage. And yeah. That movie like stood alone by itself. Like most people didn't know there right. was an original one. I didn't and, like, know. And like I didn't know until one. it came out. And like I watched the original one and it's like, oh my God. It's like literally almost scene for scene. Oh, of okay. the original one. So the new point break is not. It's not. I mean, there are parts of it that are, you know, there's surfing and there's. Well, they do skydiving in the original, and they do um, the squirrel suit, like windsurfing type yep. thing in the new one, and they rob banks, and it's you know it's similar, but it's not exactly the same at all. Um, and I know most people <laughs> didn't enjoy it, and that's okay. I, as an assistant editor, that's another one of the uh, perks is that I'm an assistant editor, so none of it is. I'm just working on it. Yep. Um, but that was one of the jobs I was telling you before. Um, they hired me initially to work for six weeks or less, basically to organize a surf footage. And we had 80 hours of surf footage, 40 hours from the two each of the two separate locations. And so I had to organize all of the surf footage, which knowing nothing about surfing was very interesting. But it was a good learning experience, actually. Um and then they proceeded to hire me on as the one of the permanent seconds, and I ended up being on that movie for 11 and a half months. So is there anything you're currently working on or excited about? Well, so I, I finished The Dark Tower um, two weeks ago. I finished working on it, and I'm probably going to start the next film that I'm hopefully working on in September. 
So I'm taking a little break. That's why I'm in Pennsylvania. I like to go on vacation. And then, uh, yeah, I should hopefully be starting another film in September. Um, Which might be when this is coming out. Right. And if, uh, we're supposed to go on production, like to go somewhere. So a lot of times the production will be in L.A., but we might get to go with the production, which would potentially be in Winnipeg, Toronto, or Spain. So I'm pulling for <laughs> Spain because Spain for six weeks sounds amazing. But I don't know yet. Um, and what am I excited for? Well, Star Wars, obviously. Finishing Game of Thrones. Um, I'm behind. All the So because of the time we're filming this, all the Comic-Con trailers just came out. But I haven't had a chance to watch any of them except for the Stranger Things 2 trailer. Which So I'm excited for Stranger Things Season 2. Very excited. I'm cautiously optimistic for that. I don't. I think they're gonna screw it up. Uh, no, I think. I actually don't think they're gonna screw it up. I think. I think it'll be. It, it might not be as good as the if, first if one. If they just would have stopped at the first step, like after the first season, it would have been like the perfect TV show, period, ever, and they could have retired on that. Period, but ever. There's I know so there's many money good involved, TV shows. <laughs> uh, I right, right. I see what you're saying. But I'm very excited. I think if they screw it up, it won't be as bad as some other shows have screwed it up in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, we won't name names, so. But I'm excited and optimistic, yes. You're right. We shall see. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, freelance editor. Yes. You can work on people's project, union or non-union, preferably yes. union. Yes, preferably union. So, yes. how would people get a hold of you? Um, well, mostly I don't, I don't have a website, but you could email me. Um, it's Ray, R-A-E dot Watson, W-A-T-S-O-N at hotmail.com. Um, it's my work email address. Um, but yeah, you can email me if you're interested in post-production. I will gladly try to answer your questions. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. And you can always follow, uh, this podcast at fdbpodcast.com on social media at fdbpodcast. We would really appreciate a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to that. So it was great having you on. Uh, yes, thank you, Frank. It's yep. great to talk to you. All right. Cheers. Cheers. This podcast is produced by Frank Steele and recorded live at Gwyn Sound Studio. Find out more at GwynSound.com.